so we're talking about a new season. We're starting a new series today called Times of Refreshing. And it just made me think about how lucky we are, how fortunate we are, how blessed we are. All the years of my life, I've been really blessed. Uh, all the years of my life, I never remember any time in, in growing up, and you may have experienced this, but I never have, uh, where the water was turned off at our house or in our, our kids never experienced that. You ever remember any time when the water was turned off, kids? Anybody? They're not paying attention. That's right. <laughs> They've heard all this before. Uh, 30 years ago. Uh, uh, but how blessed we are. I just think that you can go to a faucet. I mean, and it's not, and turn the faucet on and water comes out. Clean, clear, relatively pure <laughs> uh, water. And how refreshing that is. You can just, you know, go to the sink, get you a nice glass of water. Of course, you know, we didn't envision then. Who, if anybody had said, well, you know, we're really not going to drink water out of the tap anymore. We're going to actually drink it from bottles. And then we're going to eventually graduate to Yeti cups. And, uh, and yet a lot of you even fill your Yeti cups up with bottled water, right? Because you don't like the taste of tap water. So, but, uh, but just think, think what a miracle that is. That you go to the faucet and water comes out. And it comes out, I mean, it's very rare that you've had a season in your life where maybe there was a power outage or something happened and you didn't have the ability to get water in your life. And just, you just turn the spigot and it comes out. Or uh, if you were outside, this is, I, I still love to do this, is that if you're outside, to get a drink from the water hose. Is that it? You know, some of you think, uh, I don't know, that's gross. I, it's, I don't, it's... You don't. You got to be careful in Texas this time of year because if you turn on the faucet, the first you know couple of gallons that come out are like 185 degrees, and you could you know the water's actually boiling in the hose sitting there. But in just a second, just a second, you're going to have cool water. It's so refreshing. Uh, so as I think about this, I've never really suffered thirst. I mean, I've been thirsty, but the only time I'm really you know it's like because I'm I'm too lazy to get up and go get something. Uh, to quench my thirst. It's just that easy. We, we just have it so easy, so easy to quench our thirst. And there's nothing that satisfies like cool, cool water. Uh, then uh, to, I've always loved the water. I love swimming. I, I was on the swim team, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been here 38 years, so how long ago was that? I don't know. Uh, it's like higher math now. Uh, carry the one. Uh, so <laughs> it's not a one. <laughs> carry, carry the five, something. I don't know. Uh, it's tougher. Uh, I love the water. And, and we have a pool in our backyard. And it's, you know, this time of year, it is so great when it's 100 degrees outside to go get into that cool water. And it's, it's great because I've got this little apparatus that cost me like 15 bucks that, that I, I turn the pump on at night and it, spray, it makes a spray into the water and it, and it lowers the temperature of the water. If you don't have one of these, you ought to get one of these. It lowers the temperature of the water about 10 degrees, which makes a huge difference between 85 degree water and 95 degree water in the middle of August when it's like taking a bath. Because still, you still want to get in and it'd be like, ooh, it's a little cold. Because that makes it refreshing, right? A rainstorm. 
I love a rainstorm, this time of year, a rainstorm that knocks the temperature down five or 10 degrees. And it kind of, you know, that, that ozone in the air, that fresh, that fresh smell in the air. Uh, I love that. Uh, I also love air conditioning. Especially in August. Don't you love air conditioning in August? And I know some of you are in here, you're cold, and I'm, I'm sorry. But <laughs> it's going to be cold. Because uh, it's better to be cold than to be hot. And, uh, and I, here's what I've, one of the things I have learned in 38 years as pastor. You cannot set the thermostat where everybody likes it. Just like the volume control on the sound system. Uh, so, so, you know, physical refreshing is pretty easy, to, pretty easy to get. But what about spiritual refreshing? What about our souls? Because I think we live, we live in a spiritual desert. We live in a world where we're, it, it dries us out. It's hard. Life is hard. It's, it's, it's the pressures of life, the pace of life. I mean, just, you know, just traffic in the Metroplex is just getting horrendous, right? I mean, it used to be maybe you might have traffic from 6 o'clock till 8 o'clock, and then from 4 o'clock until 7 o'clock, but now it's just all the time. You just never know. Just one, just, and it doesn't take anything. It's like somebody roll down their window and everybody slows down. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. Said, look, somebody's got their window rolled down. What's wrong with them? They'll burn to death, you know, and just a little bit of distraction and just piles up the traffic and you get there and you think it was, that's what caused it. So, you know, the, the desires, the things that we want, the things we want to accomplish, the problems of life, life is full of problems. You know, it's some. It's always something. It's a. It's a bad tire. Or as Landon, it was two bad tires, right? You have two bad. So Landon got a tire, and then he had to get another tire. Three, and then he had to get another tire. It's like you know, like buy a set. You know, it's like uh, just. But it's a tire. It's a battery. It's the alternator. It's the belts. It's the hose. It's the air conditioner. It's the AC system this time of year. It's the water heater. It's the. It's the dishwasher. It's the. If you got stuff, stuff's breaking all the stinking time. There's just stuff that you're always having to deal with. Life is full of problems, and you got then you got you problems. You got your own physical body. You got teeth and stuff that you got to deal with. And I'm sorry, I made, people in the front row made me think about that. Uh, Eric, Eric's dealing with teeth, I think. Uh, no, uh, I mean just all this this stuff. It just it never stops, and you're and then because of that, you're broke. You know, and you think, what, what are we going to do about this? You know, I, I was telling the, in the volunteer meeting before the service, I was talking about that I heard uh, that they've come up with a magic eight ball. You know those magic eight balls that you shake and it gives you an answer, you know, and it's, you know, just it's, but Dave Ramsey's come, come out with one. So if you think, should I buy this? You shake it and every answer is no. <laughs> So sometimes even though those were Christians and we love Jesus, Jesus has filled the longings of our hearts. So, so sometimes our, our relationship with Christ can become mundane, dry, dusty, not full of life. We've lost, we can lose the joy that we had 
of our salvation. So how do we get over that? So I want to talk for the next couple of weeks about this time of refreshing, what this means. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter is preaching the second sermon, and he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And uh, this is, you know, a few days after the days of Pentecost, uh, the church has been launched. And so he, he has this big crowd. So this is what he says. If you repent and turn to God, your sins will be wiped out and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. And I, I believe, so when I read, I read this a couple weeks ago and I thought, this, that's such a cool way he said that. It's a, it, 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 that times of refreshing come from the Lord. Where, where is real refreshing going to come from? It can only come from the Lord. I mean, what's our source? What's our hope of being refreshed? Not, not just physically, but in our soul, in, in, the, in the marrow of our being for us to be refreshed. What, what does it take? And, and I think he hits it here that it, it's something that we have to recognize. It's something we get hold of from God. We get it from the Lord. And how do we do that? This is a great story. What led to this? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, which was three in the afternoon. So they're going to the temple. Uh, what's interesting to know, at this time, the church has been established, but everybody in the church is, is a Jew. So they're still following much of the Jewish pattern of their faith. They weren't called Christians until about 15 years later. So there weren't Gentiles in the church yet. Paul is going to minister to the Gentiles and reach out to the Gentiles, but most of the people now in the church, they're Jews. So there's still, there's still a lot of uh, accoutrements to their Jewish faith, to, to, to being Jews. So they're, it's, it's centered around the temple. Now, the church is, doesn't need the temple. Jesus, Jesus destroyed the need for the temple. There's no need for the sacrificial system. Now the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in a place. Now the Spirit of God dwells in us. And so, but this was a transition. This was their history. This was their culture. This was people. So they, so they were gathering there at the temple, and Jesus had often taught at the temple, and I'm sure that brought back for them uh, warm fuzzies. To feel, you know, this is, remember what Jesus said here, that they could walk from the temple. Remember, remember that time that Jesus healed the man with the withered hand and, on the Sabbath, and it really ticked off the Pharisees? You remember that? Wasn't that cool? You know, they could talk about, and it helped them remember what Jesus had done. So, so they're at the temple at the time of prayer, about three in the afternoon. There were several times in the day, morning, in the noon and afternoon, evening, they could pray. Now, a man was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, the Eastern Gate, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. Uh, so this man had been lame from birth. Uh, Acts 4.22 lets us know he was 40 years old. So he's in a hopeless condition. This man has always been lame. He doesn't expect to ever not be lame. I mean... He didn't wake up day and think, that day and think, hmm, today's maybe my day. You know, he just expected. <laughs> Landon enjoyed that. Thank you, Landon. Uh, <laughs> if you can get your kids to laugh, you're, you know, and when they've heard every dad joke uh, 25 times. Uh, so, you know, you think he, he, he's not expecting anything different. This is not a man who has hope, this is a man who is coping. There's a man who's surviving, but he doesn't have hope of anything being different than it is. So they're bringing him to the gate, beautiful. It's not unusual. You'll see it in third world countries, other places around the world, uh, and you even see it here in city streets, uh, where beggars stake out a territory. And it's where, it's, it's where they go every day. And if somebody else tries to get their territory, there might be uh, 
a scuffle. So he's taking out his territory, and he's, you know, he's been doing this for 40 years, and so he's got a good spot. He's got a good spot. He's the temple gate, which is a good thing. If you're going to hit up people to give, you can play on their guilty conscience as they go in the temple, right? Because what's the goal? The goal is to, you know, to get money. So, so they're going to the temple. It seems like a good place to beg. Uh, and incidentally, when you think about this, Jesus had probably seen this guy before. Jesus had walked by this guy. Why didn't Jesus heal him? And the answer to that is, I don't know. Because God has timing. It's very likely that Peter and John had walked before. And it's also the very fact that God wanted to do what he did in this instance when he did it. That there was a specific, specific people that God wanted to see this miracle. That were in the temple that day. Maybe it was Paul. Maybe it was Paul was there. Maybe it was one of the, some of the other members of the Sanhedrin that so it resisted Christ, but now they see this continuing ministry. We don't know, but God had a purpose and God had a plan. And so, so they had seen this, this man before. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, one of the things that I think we're all pretty good at is that one of the things when you see somebody trying to get money is that you don't give them eye contact, <laughs> right? You, you, know, you know, you pull up there on, on Buckner Boulevard and I-30, there's going to be somebody at every intersection with a sign. And, they're gonna, and so they're, and some of them are, are more, I'm not saying, they're not, I've never, I mean, I've had met aggressive panhandlers that got aggressive when you told them no. But uh, generally those guys with the signs, they're not that aggressive, uh, but, but they walk up and down the road. And they, if you make eye contact, they're coming to your car because they're like, oh, well, this guy's going to give me money. So you're like, oh, oh I, I think I'll reorganize the, my console right now. <laughs> and, uh, you don't look up, right? So Peter says to him, look at us. So he said, I want, you know, and he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles were strong. So Luke is a physician. Luke is writing the book of Acts. Luke is giving us a little information. So you have to think about this man had been, had been paralyzed, had been lame for 40 years. You can imagine his legs were nothing, just bone. I mean, everything had deteriorated. The there's no muscle. There's no sinew. There's, I mean, there's just there's skins holding him together. And instantly, um, not only it's, it's miraculous, he says, but, but instantly he got muscle and ligaments that were strong in his feet and his ankles. And he jumped to his feet and began to walk then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And what's interesting in this is that Peter doesn't even pray. He doesn't say, oh God, we're here with this man. Help his feet. He just said, reaches out his hand and says, in the name of Jesus Walk. You got to pretty much be hearing from God to do that. So he, so he began to walk. 
So, so this is two miracles. You think about this. This is a tremendous miracle. Not only is he healed, not only is he healed and, and his legs are restored, but it instantly his brain knows how to walk, which learning to walk is a very uh, difficult task for us because walking is actually arrested falling. So you can't, you, you have to walk you have to lean forward and catch yourself. That's what, so that's what babies are figuring out. That's why they, they bite the dirt so many times. Because they take a step, or they lean too far, or they lean back, and so they just, they just rehearse that. They just work on that over and over, leaning and catching it, leaning and catching it. So your, your brain's figuring all that out. So with think of all the calculations that are going on in your brain. If you increase your speed... You know, because have you ever do this? Maybe you never do this because you're not, not as old as me yet. But you can be, I can be messed up. I'm not even realizing. You're just walking along fine. You know, a little prissy. <laughs> and you just hit like a, like a half inch bump. And it's like, whoa, whoa. Uh, who put that huge, like slight elevation in the path? And what and what he'll do to me? You know, this is my my uh, my this is my bum knee. So it, it like jams that, and you're like, whoa, oh, oh, and it was like, whoa, whoa that was nothing. <laughs> but so walking, so so this thing of this miracle. So he's healed, which is incredible. But he's healed in such a way that he's like, whoa, he's jumping and he's running, so that he's been like miraculously restored, and it's incredible. So while the man. Held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. It was placed on the, on the eastern side by the Gate Beautiful. That was just rows of columns, which they used because they didn't have, they didn't have big materials for long spans. So they used columns to create spans, shorter spans. So just think of an area that's got a lot of columns, but it's a big porch so they can get out of the sun. And this is an area that would hold thousands of people. Uh, so they're all running into Solomon's colonnade, Solomon's porch. And Peter saw this. He said to them, fellow Israelites, why does it surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. So he wants them to understand a couple of things. He wants them to know that he is a Jew. He's wanting to identify with them. He's in the temple He's connecting with who they are. He says, I'm a Jew and you're a Jew. We're God of our Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he also doesn't want to take any credit for it. He immediately wants to turn and say, this wasn't us. We didn't do this. Jesus did this. This is about Jesus. See, a lot of times I think too often we try to, we're wanting to take credit for stuff instead of pointing to Jesus. And so you had so. So then he begins, he realized, you know, he's got this crowd, so he, he's going to preach to him. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Now, you got to remember, this is the same Peter who just 50 days before, 60 days before, had denied the Lord three times because of a girl around the fire said, you're one of them. And he cursed and said, no, I'm not. 
Something's happened to him. What's happened to him? Well, he's been filled with the Spirit of God. He's seen the resurrected Christ. He thought he had lost his purpose in that night. Now he's realized he still has the same purpose. He's still following God. Jesus is still alive. And so he's, he's empowered by the Spirit of God. And so now with courage, he says, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. So, you know, they said, give us Barabbas. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. All now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance. You know, that always helps in an argument. I know you did this because you're ignorant. <laughs> always, you always, oh, we always like that, don't we? I know you acted in ignorance as your leaders, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that, this, that his Messiah would suffer. You see, their mind, they couldn't see Jesus the Messiah was going to conquer Rome. They saw the Messiah was going to triumph over Rome. And the work of Jesus, the Messiah, was instead not, a, not something to just defeat Rome, but what he was doing was eternal. He triumphed not over Rome, but he triumphed over death, hell, and the grave, and sin. So he was the triumphant Messiah, but it didn't look like it when he died. But Jesus did his messianic work for us when he died on the cross, and which we celebrated earlier, so that his body and his blood could make us the righteousness of God in Christ. So he's saying to them you, what you were expecting. So he, he says, listen, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. He said, so it's time. He said, for those of you that rejected him, now it's time to turn to Christ again. Turn to Christ. And if you turn to Christ, you turn to Jesus, the Messiah, times of refreshing for you will come from the presence of God. And Jesus had said over and over again, I'm the living water. Come to me. I'm life. I'm living water. Jeremiah said, in speaking to the Jewish people, Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. That's not, that's not a word we all commonly use here. So a cistern is often, often in those days, it was, it was dug into stone as a way to store water. So they would, because they lived in an arid place, they would collect rainwater in a cistern. Now, the thing about a cistern and a stream, a spring of living water, a spring remains fresh, Right? But a cistern is going to become stagnant. Not only that, he said, you've made cisterns, you've created your own sources of water that are broken. They can't hold water. He said, so I think sometimes we, 
we create cisterns for ourselves. In other words, we, we try to find life in things that can't really give us life. Jesus encountered this with the woman at the well. John 4, 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had, gone, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to drink water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The, woman's, the woman is at the well uh, at noon because she is avoiding the other women that would come to the well in the morning. The normal time to go and get water is before the day begins. I mean, if when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're going to a source for water, you would go and get the water to prepare for the day. So you're going to have water to cook in. You're going to have water to drink. You're going to have water to, if you wash clothes in water, you're going you're gonna to have it available. You don't wait till noon. The reason she waited till noon, because nobody was there. She was not expecting anyone to be there, and Jesus was there. And uh, Jesus asked for a drink of water. The reason she wasn't there is because she didn't want people to talk about her. She didn't want their stares and their rejection because this woman had a bad reputation and it was mostly deserved. I mean, we know that she had five husbands and that she's later on, we'll see in the text, and that she's, she's living with her sixth husband. And so, so people are going to judge her for that, right? Okay, you're not sure. They will. But here's the good thing about Jesus. I hope you, know, hope you like this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't judge people because they've made a lot of mistakes. Jesus doesn't disqualify you because you've made mistakes. Anybody here made any mistakes? Like, some of us could say, you mean today? You know. I mean, we, we do. And isn't it good that God doesn't reject us, that Jesus came to look beyond our mistakes? We have this story about this woman, so Jesus is telling us something about the nature of God, right? Jesus reveals the Father. That's why Jesus came, to reveal the Father. He's telling us something about how God reaches out to people that have done stupid stuff. So you're not disqualified. Just, just think about this. I've, everybody here, you say, well, I'm disqualified. I've messed up my life too bad. No, you haven't. You haven't messed up your life too bad. Because your salvation is in, in that you're going to fix it. Your salvation is that Christ redeems us. So the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How, how do you ask me a drink for the Jews don't associate with Samaritans? So the, the best way I can help you understand this is that Samaritans worshipped. They, they had taken Judaism and twisted it a little bit. And so instead of worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem, they worshiped at their own temple in Samaria. So the Jews considered them heathens, heretics. It would be kind of like us worshiping together with Mormons. Now, 
Mormons are good people. But their theology is totally different than Christian theology. It's, you, know, you may not know this, but Mormonism is not a sect of Christianity. Mormonism is totally different. It is totally different. They, be, they, they don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe that he became God. And I'm not, I didn't intend to get off on that, but, but you could say that would, in other words, that would be, it'd be problematic if we, so we would say, they'd say we're wrong and they say we're wrong. They think we're wrong. We think they're wrong. So, so the Samaritans, the Jews had this, had this conflict because, because they didn't agree on how to worship God. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus moves the conversation from physical water. I think so far he still hadn't gotten a drink. Right? That might not have been his purpose at all. I think he always wanted to talk about living water. So Jesus moves the conversation from physical water to eternal living water. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I see that you're a prophet. (laughs) Now, just think, can I think about this for a second? So Jesus, she says, give me this living water. Hey, well, I'd like to have this, because I would like to not have to come to this well and face this rejection that I've faced in the, with all these mistakes that I've made. And Jesus said, go call your husband. I mean, what a misogynist, <laughs> unsen- insensitive thing to say. I mean, he's like, in other words, can she not hear from God without her husband present? Is she, it, it, does she have to have a man around so she'll make the right decision? Is Jesus not going to forgive her her sins unless her unless he gets her husband's permission. What's, what's Jesus doing? Well, he's moving her from physical water to eternal water. And this woman had looked to men as the source of her life. Her life and her value had always been tied up in her relationship with men. I mean, and that's not say, you know, think about it. Why? Because there was no way to have security, financial security, life security, have food on the table as a woman. And so it created a neediness in her, a reality in her. She, you know, like most of us, and like many of you right now, thinking about what am I going to eat next, uh, that's our, that's our reality, survival. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have said that. 
But that's our reality, isn't it? But Jesus wants her to see that that is, that is not life. That's not real life. That's temporary. It's, it's, it's the imitation of life. He wants her to see that she's not going to find her life in another man. You might say that to her, men were her life. And we all do this. We all look to things. You see, the gospel is that Jesus is the answer. Jesus came to save us. That he came to give us living water that comes out from within us. That's the gospel. We tend to make cisterns that we dig ourselves. We don't go for living water. We we think of all the things that we value that we think will give us life. We think success will give us life. Haven't we seen any number of successful people that have reached the very top of achievement in their field and yet be totally miserable in their lives? To find that achievement is not to having achieved and then once you get to the top, well, you're at the top. Or achievement Money and security. All of, we all want these things. Anybody want money and security? No, I just want Jesus. Oh, come on. <laughs> Fame, notoriety. How about this? A husband. My life, my life will be what I want it to be. This is what this woman believed. My life is not full unless I have a husband. My wife is not full unless I have a wife. My, my life is not full unless I have children. My life won't be full until my children are gone. <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective, boys and girls. Uh, see, what happens is we're trying, we're trying to get life from things that can't give us life. Jesus wants this woman to see, listen, another man's not going to solve your problems. It's good. There's nothing wrong with another man. There's nothing wrong with another woman. There's nothing wrong with a wife. There's nothing wrong with a child. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with achievement. There's nothing wrong with money and security. But you won't find your life in those things. They're limited. They can only do so much. And if you ask those things, if you ask a wife to give you life, you will crush her because she's not capable of it. If you ask your husband to be your life, it's more than a man can do. You will, he will, you will always be disappointed. Success and security. What, where, what's security? When is it enough? Jeff Bezos has got, you know, $800 billion. Is it, you know what he wants? More. So what's the answer? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the only thing that can fill us, the only thing that will will truly give us life, Jesus said, the only thing that's going to satisfy you is me. Think about this. What Jesus offers us, he never offers us more than himself. (laughs) He says, come to me. 
you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He sat up at the feast and said, if any man's thirsty, come to me. Now think about it. And when Jesus offers himself, he offers the greatest treasure in the universe. There's, no, there's nothing great. I mean, God says, I would like to offer you the treasure of my son. There's nothing. The God of eternity stepped into time, then gave himself as a sacrifice so that we could be in relationship with him, the gospel, so that we could get life from him, so that now he could say, I'm not going to just be with you. I'm going to put my spirit of God in you. So what happens to us as believers, we get dry we don't, when we don't understand the price that was paid for our salvation. We get dry and it becomes mundane when we don't realize how glorious it is. The price that was paid and how incredible it is that God reached into time to bring you into eternity. It's like God reached through the veil of time and said, that one right there, Jim Harriman, he's mine. And pulled him into eternity. Greg Dietz. God looks down and says, I want that one. Angel said, well, he's a mess. God said, that's the kind I like. Watch this. Watch what I'm going to do with this life. Joe Skipper. Uh, you know, Joe, God had to keep Joe alive so he could save him. The great, so, see, and this is an incredible thing that God offers us. What's the greatest treasure of the universe? Jesus. And he says, I'd like to give you myself. God offers us nothing more than himself. And when we recognize that, when we recognize the price that was paid, where does refreshing come from? When you can, when you can take your focus off yourself and put your focus on Jesus. And you can realize what a treasure, what a treasure salvation is. What a treasure the price that was paid for you. And what it means, what it says, what it declares is that God loves you. It means God loves you. God, it, and it doesn't, it, you're precious to God, but it doesn't mean you're precious. You got to get that. See, it, you're, it means that you're, you're precious to God, and it's, but it's not so we can say, look at me. I'm precious. But so it points to Jesus. So it says, well, yeah, I'm but look, look who I'm precious to. Look who I'm, look who, look who re, re, rejoices over me with singing. When, when Ed and I ride in the car and she's sitting back in prison camp. <laughs> no, I got them strapped in like they're going to put them in an electric chair. I make up songs, silly songs. <laughs> Not going to do it. Not going to do it. 
You just have to desire it. Maybe in 39 years I'll do it. But just, you know, you know why? Because I delight in her. God delights in you. And not because of you, but because of him. So it becomes to us living water welling up. So if you're dry, think about the price that was paid. And think about how much he loves you. And it will be a time of refreshing. Amen? Let's stand. And this guy's long-winded. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the refreshing that fills our souls. Lord, what a, you offer us nothing less than the most glorious, wonderful thing in all of eternity. You offer us your son. You offer us life that you give, that comes from you, that flows from you, that centers in you, not in this world, but in you. You offer us your life. So, Lord, we rejoice in you and rejoice that you left glory and left eternity to die a horrendous death so that we could be washed and redeemed and cleansed and saved and justified and made new. Because now we are the sons of God. Thank you, Lord for loving us when we were most unlovable. Amen.